This is the Joe and Amber podcast. Normally from Florida tonight, I am live from Buffalo, New York, where I can confirm they do, in fact, have buffalo wings. This is Joe and Amber at ESPN Radio. All you have to do is tell your smart speaker to play ESPN Radio to listen to us. Joe and Amber is presented by Progressive Insurance and brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. So normally you hear Amber Wilson and Joe Fortenbus 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. You're getting a little bonus, Joe and Amber, today. Welcome in if you were listening to Heat Hawks here on ESPN Radio Heat. I don't know what you were doing. I'm going to need you guys to not go out the night before in Atlanta. Nevertheless, we got a lot of football to get to, Joe. Of course, the game that I was at in Buffalo yesterday, which is why I was here and why I can confirm that Buffalo Wings are a thing. They do serve them here. Yeah, I'm going to interrupt. I don't care about anything happening on the planet right now. And I've got kids and a wife. we got a big game tonight. There's a lot of things I should care about. I care about none of them. I care about one thing. You last week found out that Buffalo Wings are from Buffalo. We had some laughs. We were confused, but we got through it. You then went to Buffalo for the Miami game this weekend as Miss Physical Fitness, our fitness representation on this show, because God knows it's not going to be me and it's certainly not going to be James. Guy looks like a walking heart attack, to be honest with you. Wow. James, I love you. Don't worry. Get the cholesterol checked. I would like to know, A, did you try the wings? B, which locations did you go? And then we'll go from there. I did try wings. First of all, yes. I feel like I've gained like 35 pounds since I've been in Buffalo, New York. Good. So I probably need to get out of here. I did manage to go to the gym this morning. So that was glorious. I have a That's lovely lame. LA fitness up here. I don't want to hear Buffalo, about that. In Buffalo, New York. I did do that in preparation for the wing consumption today. All right. I all got right. wings from multiple establishments today. Good. I had sought advice from you because your wife is from Buffalo. I sought advice from Chris Carlin as well. Somebody who's also very familiar with Buffalo, New York. And, and quite large. If I may say quite large, you can take his advice advice when it comes to food he does seem like a man who would know some food so (laughs) you guys had both mentioned duffs to me as an establishment so i did get wings from there i know anchor bar is like the one that i think everybody knows about carlin og very touristy carlin had said you know but i was ordering from there so i didn't feel like i had to go and be part of the the tourist trap so i ended up doing that because i thought okay well that's classic og uh in terms of of wings as well you guys what's where the wings started other okay the wings started at anchor bar I didn't even know that. Look at that. Again, I'm just learning that wings oh are God. from Buffalo, New York, and that Buffalo is named Buffalo not because of the sauce, but actually the city that these things are from. So I <laughs> tried wings from both establishments today, uh, all very, very good. Apparently, they know how to make – they know how to do wings in Buffalo, yeah, New York. who would have thought? Who would have thought? They had I, had – I had a variety. I had garlic parmesan, spicy garlic parmesan from Here Anchor we go. Bar and medium. Then from Duff's, I had the medium light because apparently they get real spicy there at Duff's, which I'm in for, but my family was not, uh, and some mild as well. And, and we got some other fixins, some fried pickles, things like that as well. Uh, this was not a low-calorie evening for me, but it was a glorious evening. It was Nor very, should it have very, been- very good. So, when, so how do you how do you compare them? First of all, have you had wings prior to this weekend? Yes, of course oh. I've had wings. Oh, yeah, okay. Like, first of all, don't <laughs> feign like that's such a shocking question based on everything you've revealed over the last two weeks. Okay, so let's spare me the dramatics. So you have had wings. A, how did these wings stack up to previous wings you've had? And then B, did you like Anchor Bar or Duff's more? So that's really really hard because the the spicy garlic parmesan 
from Anchor Bar were really unique, I felt like. But they were very saucy, right? So, which ah. I know, like, that can be a thing here. Or some some establishments go saucy. Some aren't saucy enough. I, I, you know, it was a variety. So, they were very saucy. But they were, they were unique. I really liked them. It wasn't a flavor that I had had before. The ones from Duff were crispier. Which I enjoyed that. That they were a bit mm. crispier. So, there was a, a definitely a difference, too, in terms of the breading. The mild from Duff's were nice and crispy. And a little less breaded than the medium light for whatever reason they were pretty phenomenal honestly all of it was good all of it was top notch i would get say both places i would say both places compete no no with, get off the fence I, I might maybe i would give a nod a little edge to duff's maybe okay. because i liked the crispy what did you dip it in blue cheese oh yeah if you try ranch up there they're gonna run you out of town they'll throw you over the river into canada okay so you my, gotta be very my, careful my husband did do that and i was nervous he wanted to sub out the blue cheese for what the a jabroni what's he doing i was i was very nervous but i went full blue cheese my mother-in-law went full blue cheese so i figured that we went ahead and and uh, hopefully circumvented the issue that he created but Nicely yeah i'm good done. with either one honestly i'm good with blue cheese or ranch i mean i'm good with most things i eat healthy but it doesn't mean i don't like unhealthy things i do you know i rarely met foods i don't enjoy chicken wings are definitely something i typically enjoy and they are good they definitely know how to do them up here in buffalo new york i poutine on the other hand by the way because i tried poutine last night because i've never been this close to i went to canada today i've never been to canada i've never been this close to canada apparently in my life when i was really thinking about it so i finally tried poutine soggy french fries ain't for me yeah i can understand that i can i'm very happy to hear about the wings I am. Um, I'm a ranch fan over blue cheese. I, when I went to Buffalo for the first time with my wife, though, I got I got sat down and I got lectured that if I even tried that, there was a good chance we were going to have a we were going to have a, a a lawsuit on our hands, and not the fun kind of lawsuit. We were going to have a, she was going to be brought up on charges, serious charges too, not fun charges. So wow. I went ahead and I I played to the locals with the blue cheese. I will say if you ever get a chance, Bar Bill's their third one there. Mm-hmm. Bar Bill's fantastic as well, but all the wings are great. I'm glad you had a great time. I, I also heard Gabriel's Gate. Uh, those were another one I think that were on Carlin's list. So lots of places that I could have chosen from. But uh, I will definitely, if I'm ever back in Buffalo, New York, which, by the way, Buffalo, whatever reason, a lot cuter than I expected, a lot nicer than I've expected. I've had a, I've had a lot of fun up here in Buffalo, New York. And if I ever find myself here again, I will definitely be eating more wings. We've Great got a people. Lo- Great people. Great Very people. nice people, including the Bills fans yesterday. We are going to get to that game on today's show. There is a ton to unpack from Super Wild Card Weekend. Plus, of course, we are going to get you ready for Cowboys Bucks as well. This is Joe and Amber at ESPN Radio. You can also check us out on the ESPN app. Joe and Amber, the podcast. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. A little bonus, Joe and Amber coming your way here on ESPN Radio. Joe Fortenbaugh, Amber Wilson with you. Normally we start at 7 p.m. Eastern, but you get us early tonight. You're welcome, America. You can follow him on social media at Joe Fortenbaugh. You can follow me at Amber W Sports. So if you were listening a few minutes ago, you know that I am in Buffalo, New York. And the reason for that 
is because I was watching my Miami Dolphins lose to the Buffalo Bills 34 to 31 yesterday, but a heck of a game, Joe. I am so, so glad I flew all the way up here for it because to be honest, I didn't expect much at all. This was a 13 and a half point spread in favor, of course, of the Buffalo Bills. We're talking about a Dolphins team that was down to their third string quarterback, a third string rookie quarterback in Skylar Thompson. There wasn't much reason to feel good if you were a Dolphins fan, plus other injuries like Teron Armstead that had really cost the Dolphins here down the stretch. And of course, the Bills are the Bills. A lot of people consider them maybe the best team in the AFC, although that's in question, I think, coming after this off of this game because of how hard the Dolphins played the Bills. A much better game than I imagined. I thought I was flying up here. I'm like, you know what? We never make it to playoff games. It's been a half decade. Heck, we haven't won one in multiple decades. I'm still going to experience this, be there for my team, even if it's a blowout. And I was so pleasantly surprised that they gave me a heck of a game right to the end. Credit to Miami for exactly what you just said, which is making that a game because there was every indication that that game wouldn't be close. Buffalo was a 14-point favorite, and Miami was dealing with a plethora of disadvantages heading into that game. When you are dealing with a small margin for error, and the Miami Dolphins had a razor-thin margin for error if they were going to win that game, you have to play damn near perfect. They were in a situation where it's a stud quarterback going against a third-string rookie. You're on the road. It's cold weather, and you're a warm-weather team. You've got a rookie head coach. You've got significant injuries on both sides of the ball. You have a disadvantage significantly on defense versus what they trot out there as opposed to you. And like I said, you're a 14-point dog. You can't make a lot of mistakes, and they just made too many mistakes in that game. They were 25% on third down. They were outgained by 192 total yards. They committed five more penalties, and they converted two of four in the red zone versus Buffalo's three of four. That was the difference. We can look to one specific moment to try to hang it on one guy or to try to hang it on one unit or to say it was this or that, but the reality was too many mistakes. And against a good team on the road, you can't make that many mistakes if you want to spring an all-time upset. In that environment, that is a really rough environment. That is an incredibly loud stadium. Bills fans obviously show up and show out in that scenario. But I will say that a lot of Dolphins fans, and I think it's the way that we lost that game, because if you had gotten blown out like the odds makers had expected, Joe, that would be one thing. But they were right there in the fourth quarter in a position to win the game. And then Mike McDaniel collapsed in terms of play calling down the stretch. They had four delay of game penalties in that game. There was mistakes all over the map, like you said. Not just Mike McDaniel not knowing what down it was, thinking it was first down when it was fourth down, and them getting a delay of game penalty in that instance that puts them back from fourth and inches to needing six yards then to convert. That's the one play that everyone's going to point to. There was tons of plays and tons of drops. You cannot have Jalen Waddle and these receivers out here dropping those sorts of passes that are or right on the money from Skylar Thompson because he ain't going to be right on the money every time. But that dude was right on the money a couple times, hitting his receivers in the hands when it was wide open. They would have been straight to the end zone had they actually just caught it. Hits off their hands and they can't bring it in. You have to have more help than that for your third string quarterback that's out there in a very, very tough road environment during the playoffs. But overall, you're right. I can't just point to one thing. I was surprised at the reaction because so many Dolphins fans were just piling on Mike McDaniel after this game. And I think it was the manner in which we lost because it was heartbreaking because we did have a chance. And so then it's easier to kind of look at these mistakes and really go down the path. But the truth is, if you're going to blame McDaniel, and he did, he collapsed in the fourth quarter. He's got to do better as a play caller. 
But also, he was on the road in an incredibly tough environment, and they battled back from a double-digit deficit with a third-string quarterback and, like you said, a host of other injuries. That roster that he was working with was not nearly as good as the roster on the other sideline. That's just the reality of it. And yet, they were still in a position. It came down to the very end of the game. They almost could have gotten it done. Nobody in Miami wants to hear this, but you're going to be much better off for this game than you would have been getting blown out. You're going to be much better off in the long run. It stings more now because you did get emotionally invested, but ultimately this is going to be better for you. There's a reason why it's important to let your kids fall down. There's a reason why it's important to fail at different things in life so you can come back and be more resilient. What you saw yesterday from McDaniel and the Dolphins was a team that has no idea how to operate in a tight spot in the playoffs. That's the simple fact of the matter. They're never there. Miami's never in the postseason. They're never in a tight game in the postseason. McDaniel's a rookie head coach who has faced this scenario exactly zero times. Zero. Teams need to show up and fail. I mean, you look back at the Philadelphia Eagles, how many NFC championship games did they need to fail before they finally got to the Super Bowl? And then they ended up failing there anyway. History is littered with this, littered with teams that get to the playoffs one year, And then next year they surge through. Jason Tatum, I think, is a great recent example. Got to the NBA Finals with the Celtics last year. Got completely shut down in that series against the Warriors. They made him look awful. He was the headline. That he's supposed to be the superstar alpha and he completely turtled up in the biggest series of the year. But then what did he do? He went back in the lab. He's come back stronger than ever. And he's one of the top three candidates to win MVP this year because he's putting together the best season of all time. Adversity is good. Failure is good. It makes you stronger. It makes you more resilient. And for Miami, again, I understand no one wants to hear it today. McDaniel and that team needed to go through that because they'll be better prepared next time they're in that situation. McDaniel was working, like we said, with the third-string quarterback, Skylar Thompson. He was 18 of 45, 220 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions in terms of passing. Josh Allen, on the other side, for the Buffalo Bills, gets the dub on 23 of 39, 352 yards passing, three touchdowns, did throw two costly interceptions in that game. Again, a much closer game than anybody anticipated as the Buffalo Bills edged out the Miami Dolphins by three points. So what does that mean now for a Bills team that's heading into a divisional showdown with the Cincinnati Bengals? Here is the Bills quarterback, Josh Allen. Turnovers, they, they hurt us, you know, really let them back in the game, you know, up 17 nothing uh, with chances, uh, and I give them the ball you know, two times and give them a touchdown. So uh, it's just things you can't do, and you can't expect to win like that. So some stuff to clean up. Certainly things you can't do moving forward. I mean, he got away with it. He barely got away with it yesterday against a shorthanded Dolphins team. So are you concerned now watching the Dolphins play the Bills as tough as they did as the Bills continue forth with a lot of people picking the Bills as their favorite to win the conference? You should absolutely be concerned because you mentioned Allen's two interceptions. You didn't mention the fumble. He's a mess. He's number one in the NFL this season in turnovers. Like You're telling me this guy's supposed to be an MVP. He turned the ball over 19 times this season more than anyone in the NFL. That's not good. You don't need me to break that down for the fan driving around right now to say, man, I'm Fortinball saying that's not good. You know it's not good. It's terrible. This is a team that has had trouble and looked weak and vulnerable throughout many spots so far this season, and you didn't claim the one seed. I understand that there was an unfortunate and tragic series of events that led to you not being in a position to claim the one seed, but you needed it. Who's going to go to Arrowhead Stadium and win twice this season? You're not going to have to if you face them because it'll be on a neutral in Atlanta, but I got to be completely honest, this Buffalo team, 
I'm shocked because I'm here in Vegas. They opened as a four, four and a half point favorite against Cincinnati. And then Buffalo money hit the market today and put it up to five. And I'm trying to figure out why that is because I know the Bengals didn't look great against the Ravens, but everybody knew the Ravens defense was coming to play in that game and that they were going to put up a fight. The, the, the Bills were supposed to do what the Niners did to the Seahawks. You're supposed to take a team that doesn't belong, stomp them, and then kick their rear end out of the playoffs and move on to tougher competition. They struggled. They struggled, and they're a team that looks like they've got several vulnerabilities heading into their biggest game of the season. So Joe just mentioned some of the other games from Super Wild Card Weekend. Still a ton to unpack here on Joe and Amber coming up next. So far, only one division champ has failed to advance the divisional round. We're going to talk about that next. It's Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Joe and Amber, the podcast. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Bonus time here of Joe and Amber is a little thing called pizza money, where we like to earn you some extra cash that you can spend on some pizza if you so choose. Wagers that aren't, you know, going to break the bank. You're not going to risk the house on it, but you might risk a pizza or two on it. That's Joe Fortenbaugh's specialty. Let's get to it. Pizza money alert. Pizza, pizza. All right, two and two with our NFL props over the weekend. We're going to do some props, some sides, some totals, all for the Monday night game tonight on ESPN between Dallas and Tampa Bay. Pizza money number one, Dallas wide receiver C.D. Lamb going under 73 and a half receiving yards. Lamb's a great receiver, no doubt. He's got big-time numbers this season, no doubt. But he's boosted those stats against awful pass defenses. Teams like the Giants, the Jaguars, and the Titans, to name a few. Tonight, he's not going to have that opportunity. He's facing a rock-solid Tampa defense that has gotten much healthier especially in the secondary. He's going to be the focus of the Tampa Bay defense. I wouldn't be surprised if he faced a little man coverage from the corner, rolled the safety over the top, tried to take C.D. Lamb and the big play capabilities of the Cowboys out of the equation. Going to be involved tonight, but I don't think to the extent where he gets the 74 or more yards. Pizza money number one, C.D. Lamb under 73 and a half receiving yards. We got a few more of those. We got a few more of those pizza monies coming your way throughout the show. And of course, we will get to plenty of Cowboys Bucks talk. But first, Joe, we've got to address what happened to the Minnesota Vikings because the New York Giants beat the Minnesota Vikings 31 to 24, a 13 win team in the Minnesota Vikings. Their season is over. Kirk Cousins, he is the quarterback, of course, of the Minnesota Vikings. He was asked how much this one hurts. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts. Um, I'm probably missing one, but this is probably the toughest loss I've had in my career. So it hurts. Why is that? I mean, all the obvious reasons. All the obvious reasons. 
Kirk Cousins was 31 to 39, 273 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions, but it doesn't matter that there were no interceptions. He also had another touchdown, by the way, on the ground. The point is that his team and him could not get it done when it mattered most. A heck of a regular season amounts to nothing, Joe, in the postseason. It amounted to exactly what it was supposed to amount to because this is the biggest fraud of a football team that we've seen in probably more than a decade. People get so upset when you use analytics to point out a team's flaws or to point out that a team might not be as good as the record indicates. That's the biggest misnomer out there is this famous Bill Parcells quote, you are what your record says you are. False. The San Francisco 49ers were 13-4 and this season. The Vikings were 13-4 and this season. There isn't a soul walking the planet who thinks the Vikings are as good as the Niners. We've got a lot of obvious stats that can tell you a team is good or a team is bad. You can rank 32nd in the league in scoring defense. We're going to understand you aren't that good. You can rank number one in the NFL in scoring offense. We can understand that you're probably okay. But people get caught up in the wins and losses too much sometimes during the regular season. And this team is a perfect example. 13 and 4. They were 11 and 0 in one score games and anyone with half a brain tried to point out that that was a huge red flag. People who don't get it kept saying, "No, you got to be able to win the games late." That's a good sign that they're able to win the games late. Well, what happened this weekend when they needed to win a game late when it actually mattered? They fell on their face, and their stud quarterback, who gets more money than just about anybody, throws 6 yards shy of the sticks on 4th and 8 for some unknown reason whatsoever. 11 and 0 in one score games for people who don't understand is an anomaly. All right, over a large enough sample size, say 500 games, you should be about 250 and 250 in one score games. Sometimes you kick a game winning field goal, sometimes the opponent does. Sometimes you fail on your drive down the field to score, sometimes your opponent does. It all balances itself out, the law of averages. But when you have a small sample like this, and a team goes 11-0 in one-score games, it is a huge red flag that regression is on the horizon. And everybody with a brain who was focused on it knew Minnesota was fake, that at some point they were going to get exposed. And the second they got to the playoffs, they found themselves in a one-score game, and they lost. That's what the playoffs are all about. Take the pretenders and get them the hell out of there so we can get to the business of crowning a champion. Minnesota, it was a nice season. I'm sorry I come across so aggressively at you, but you were not as good as your record indicates, and we finally saw the cream rise to the top with the Giants knocking you out of the postseason. It's another chapter in the Kirk Cousins book, right, where we can point to it and say, hey, another scenario where on the biggest stage Cousins couldn't get it done, whether it's prime time, whether it's postseason, whether it's a win-or-go-home game, when the lights are the brightest, Kirk Cousins fails. And that's something that has followed him throughout his career, and this game doesn't help that narrative. The Vikings stayed true to their brand. They faced a 10-point deficit late in the second quarter, again early in the third quarter. They were just ended up being outmatched in the end out at home by a first year head coach and Brian Dayball by Daniel Jones, who they didn't even pick up his fifth year option. And none of us were sure Daniel Jones had a future before this season as a starter in the league. Jones passed for 301 yards, two touchdowns, touchdowns ran for 78 yards in his first career playoff game in a, again, raucous environment there in Minnesota. Just another blunder for the Minnesota Vikings coming up. Did I eat Buffalo wings in Buffalo? I'm going to get into that next. Joe and Amber, the podcast. 
Joe and Amber is presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career path with flexibility and great pay and benefits? Go to Progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. Amber Wilson and Joe Fortenbaum with you, taking you up until 9 p.m. Eastern. You can slide into his DMs at Joe Fortenbaum. You can slide into mine apparently as well at Amber W Sports because somebody just did that, Joe, because they were upset by our open they are claiming that all of Nevada or Nevada is going to stop listening to us because in our open, the announcer says Nevada, and they're claiming that it is pronounced Nevada. Can you confirm nor deny you are the one out there in Las Vegas? Yeah, I live here. It is Nevada. So we, we're going to need to get that right, just like it is Colorado, not Colorado. No, okay, well, hold on. What? That's not a thing. Okay, it's so Colorado? just to be clear, just, just to be Colorado? clear, in the open, when you talk about having these multiple degrees and you are a smart person, you, you think it's Colorado. I do. I think have you ever Colorado. been there? Colorado. Yes. We have a, it, my family has a house out there in Vail, Colorado. Oh, Colorado. how nice. I've been so going not only do we live Colorado, on an island. Not Colorado. <laughs> not only do we live on an island, we also have a home in Vail, Colorado. Interesting. Well, well, that, was, that was a good point. Probably shouldn't have revealed that. That was probably revealing too much. The point is, I'm pretty yeah, sure Nevada. it's Colorado. I have heard Nevada and yep. Nevada. I am a Nevada kind of gal, but I don't live there. I didn't know that it was offensive to people who live there that it is, in fact, apparently Nevada. Yeah. Well, it is Nevada, um, but we here in Nevada, we are a laid-back culture. We don't dress up often. We like to take things easy. We enjoy our happy hours. In fact, it's pretty much always happy hour in this town, no matter where you go. Things don't close. We have casinos in grocery stores. We have slot machines in gas stations. If you call it Nevada, it's not the end of the world. We'll let you slide. We just want you to know it is, in fact, Nevada. Thanks so much for listening to my TED Talk, and uh, we'll catch up with you again down the road. (laughs) Well, we might have to get that fixed then here at ESPN Radio for the intro to this show. You can always just tell your smart speaker to play ESPN Radio to listen to us, of course. So it's not the end of the road for us, even though apparently we're mispronouncing the name of the state. It was almost the end of the road for the Buffalo Bills yesterday when they barely eked by the Miami Dolphins 34-31. to Josh Allen shrugged off a three-turnover performance. The three-time defending AFC East champ avoided a major collapse to a Dolphins team that was injury-depleted, depleted, a seventh seed, had lost five of their last six down the stretch to come into this game, was on a third-string quarterback. It was certainly ugly for the Miami Dolphins coming into this one, and yet they put up a heck of a fight. The Bills barely got by. So for the Miami Dolphins... I would say that the goal going forward is to clean up some of the mistakes and then obviously to get healthy. For the Buffalo Bills, they've got to write those errors real quick before they face the Bengals. Yeah, for Miami, nice effort. Um, As a Miami fan, obviously, your slant's going to be to Miami. You're going to be focused on that part of the game. You're going to be focused on the fact that they performed above expectations, had a shot, weren't able to close. And I can completely understand that. And you know what? I think it shocked a lot of us. That was one of the better performances of the weekend, especially Skylar Thompson. I think that was the performance that, while people are fixated on Daniel Jones and Trevor Lawrence bouncing back in the second half, those are the winners. That's why they get to write history. Skylar Thompson stepped up. He stepped up in a big way. And you know what? The rest of the team didn't step up with him. Jalen Waddell has had a miserable performance. Jalen Waddell was a non-factor with so many drops in key spots. Tyreek Hill had a couple key drops. Jaseki, the tight end, shout out Penn State, I love you, but he had some big mistakes. They just couldn't get on the same page. When you have a rookie seventh rounder 
third string quarterback stepping up to that level, making those plays in the passing game, which he had not done at any point all year. The wide receivers, especially the high priced ones, have got to be able to take their game to another level to carry the guy. And unfortunately, they weren't able to do that. Like you saw Baltimore's defense rise to the occasion to carry the offense. The offense just made too many mistakes. The wide receivers had to step their game up and they couldn't do it. I don't believe that Skylar Thompson had thrown a touchdown pass before that game this season. And he had had plenty of chances this season because, unfortunately, the entire quarterback's room for the Miami Dolphins cannot stay healthy. It's not just Tua Tungvaloa, but every time Tua went down, Teddy Bridgewater would go down. And so Skylar Thompson would be the next man up. You saw once Mike McDaniel had some time here to prepare, knowing that Skylar was going to be the starter as he was last game as well. Things did go better. The efficiency's not there. He's still a rookie, seventh grounder like you just suggested but it did not help that the receivers were not helping him it also did not help that his head coach frankly was not helping him when it came to the clock management issues a lot of people pointing to Mike McDaniel today and saying hey he's going to need to do better and frankly he is going to need to do better they had four delay of game penalties they had a major faux pas from McDaniels where he thought it was a first down and it was a fourth in inches it really really cost them Mike McDaniels he is the head coach of the Miami Dolphins he was asked about those clock management issues there was some communication that we'd gotten the first down so then we were deploying a group of players for the first and 10 call and then it was it was articulated uh, that no it was fourth down so that miscommunication that's all the stuff that you that you do in in this business is you you never stop finding the things that you can improve on it was a piece of the reason you know why we're unable to come out with a victory but it it definitely wasn't the only reason a lot of people can find several things that they could do better um, including myself which we will do pressing forward I believe that. I believe that they will do that. I like the job overall that Mike McDaniel did this season. A rough season for the Miami Dolphins in terms of injuries. They did say that Tua is the starter moving forward, that Tua will be the starter for the Miami Dolphins next season. They can say that all they want. We'll see how that really plays out and how they end up addressing that position or if they address the position behind Tua and try to get a backup that maybe has an easier time with durability than Teddy Bridgewater has seemed to have here down the stretch. But the Buffalo Bills, I mean, listen, I was at that game it was an unbelievable experience I was so glad that I flew up for it as a Dolphins fan because I flew up here thinking that we were going to get blown out and it was such a heck of a game that the Dolphins put up but also the Bills definitely did not look as good as I expected them to look the mistakes were there against that Dolphins defense you mentioned the three turnovers there from Josh Allen I don't know about my confidence level for a team that I thought was going to walk their way into a conference championship I can get to that, but I got to bring something up we haven't hit on yet because we just listened to Mcdaniel. Was, was he vaping on the sideline in that game? Is that what he was doing? It <laughs> looked like I don't saw, want to accuse him of something he wasn't he doing, but it looked like he was vaping on the sideline at the end of that game. Do we he have confirmation on like that? It? I, I have no idea. I didn't see yes. that because I was obviously at the game, so I do James. not see what you're referencing. It's Producer not just- James. Yes, yeah. Uh, I, I know what you're talking about, for sure. I, I do not have any confirmation on that, though. And maybe that's something we can work on. Well, that's it's a dynamite legal. drop, it and is, we appreciate it's, it's, it. It's legal in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no matter what he could have been consuming <laughs> in a vape My fault. Uh, it would, it would have, there would have been legalities at play. It was also very cold. You sure you weren't just seeing his breath? Because <laughs> that's a thing I mean, up here in Buffalo. I've learned. if it was just his mouth and then there were breath coming out, I'd like to believe I wouldn't have been tricked like that. But his <laughs> his lips kept going down to a closed fist, and then when his mouth would come up, 
the breath that came out was quite robust to the I, point where people it, thought he possible. was vaping. Or maybe he's just in four full Florida mode, which I will tell you as a Floridian who's up here right now in Buffalo, it is like way too fun to be able to see your breath. I don't know why. Like, I think that this is probably just a thing for like Florida people who never get to see it. And I can't tell you how many pictures I tried to take of my breath. And apparently it doesn't really show up on an iPhone camera. So there's a pros, <laughs> pros tip for y'all. If you ever travel Thanks a lot, up north, Apple. Joe and Amber is presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming up, is there more pressure on the Bucks or the Cowboys tonight? We'll tell you next. Joe and Amber's on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Joe and Amber, the podcast. Cowboys are in Tampa tonight, taking on the Buccaneers at Raymond James Stadium. Kickoff for Monday Night Football tonight is at 8.15 p.m. Of course, you can watch that right here on ESPN. We are going to get into that game plenty. We are taking you up to that game. We are taking you a bit through that game as well. There is tons to talk about when it comes to that game. But first... Let's try to earn you some money, honey. Everybody likes some money. It's what we do on this show. We try to earn you some pizza money. That means some cash, not crazy wagers, nothing so big that you're going to put your house on it, but something that can put a little extra dough in your pocket. Let's get to it. Pizza money alert. Pizza, pizza. Pizza money number two for tonight. Number one was Dallas wide receiver C.D. Lamb under 73 and a half yards. Number two is a very popular one amongst the Daily Wager crew here in Las Vegas. Monday through Friday, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. Tom Brady over 42 and a half passing attempts tonight. Very popular. 43.1 per game is his average this season. He's averaging over this number on the season, and that includes a Week 18 game where he barely played, so that drags the number down. He hit this mark in 11 of the 16 games in which he played the full duration this season. The Dallas defense, while it was solid early in the year, is down two key members in the secondary, Jordan Lewis and Anthony Brown. The Tampa Bay Bucks have wanted to run all season. They haven't been able to. I know we might see a big effort from playoff Lenny tonight, but Brady, pizza money number two, over 42 and a half passing attempts. The 8 and 9 Tampa Bay Bucks get the home field advantage over the 12 and 5 Cowboys. That's the way the cookie crumbles in these divisions. The Bucks are 5 and 4 at home this season. The Cowboys are 4 and 4 on the road. The question is, Who's got more pressure on them tonight? Derek Brooks, the Pro Football Hall of Famer, was on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max earlier. He had an answer to that question. When you think about what they have not been able to do and, you know, for who they are and what they represent just in terms of the branding and their ownership, I believe the pressure is on them. You know, the Bucks obviously just recently won a Super Bowl and, and having playoff success uh, the last two years since Tom has been here. I don't think no pressure's on them. I think, Joe, you can make an argument that the pressure is on the team with the expectations. And if you just look at the way that this season has gone for both of these teams, maybe this isn't the conversation we would have had in the offseason coming into this season, but certainly coming off of the regular season here, it does feel like the pressure should be more on the Dallas Cowboys. They've had the far better season. The, Cow- the Bucks have not been a very good team this season and have been decimated with injuries. Well, the pressure's on Dallas for a lot of individual reasons, and I don't know if that would mean there's more pressure on them than Tampa Bay. For example, Dallas is coming in as the favorite. They are expected to win the game. Mike McCarthy's coaching for his job. Dak Prescott is playing to try to avoid this this 
vitriol that he faces in the media from so many people who feel he's not worthy of the contract that he signed, who's, who's not nearly as good as the stats in some of these games may indicate. So from an individual perspective, yeah, a lot of pressure on Prescott, a lot of pressure on McCarthy, but that's selfish. It's McCarthy to save his job, and it's Prescott to improve his image. You know, the pressure on Tampa Bay here, they made it. They won their division. They are at home, and they're playing a Dallas team that is deeply flawed. I understand that the Buccaneers are the underdog in this situation, but at the same time, there's plenty of pressure on them and Todd Bowles for the season they produced because they came nowhere close to meeting any of the ex- expectations people put on them from the start of the season until now. They didn't improve the offensive line, but Ryan Jensen, the center, is coming back for tonight's game, which should be a huge boost. The passing game wasn't nearly as devastating as it should have been. It looked like Tom Brady and Mike Evans weren't on the same page for a lot of the season. The secondary's healthy tonight, so to be honest, I think there's just as much pressure on Tampa Bay because they have not perform well this season and this is their opportunity to erase all of that with at least one playoff win that is coming on their home field well one of the reasons they haven't performed well this season is because that o-line was decimated even before the season got off to a start ryan jensen of course a key component of that i don't know what he's going to be able to give them coming out after missing the entire season but he is back so presumably it could be a huge boost there from that perspective for tom brady to get his center back i just think that if you're talking tom brady of course there's always pressure. Now we have to have a conversation, Joe, about could this be Tom Brady's last game? And if that's the case, then there's immense pressure, right? And that's going to be a conversation that we're going to have every game until he is actually done. And none of us know when that's going to be. It could be this season. It could be next season. It could be this game. It could be next game. We have no idea when and and if Tom Brady is actually ever going to retire here. We saw him do it once. Apparently, uh, he decided to come back after 40 days. I do think that that added storyline always puts pressure, though, because there's got to be pressure on all those other guys. Like, hey, this could be the greatest ever do it at that position. This could be the last game. We've got to have the last run with Tom Brady, right? Like, don't you probably feel like inside that locker room, that's one of the sentiments that's circling there. Everybody wants to make a run of the postseason anyways. Wouldn't you feel additional pressure if it was Tom Brady and maybe the end of Tom Brady's career to try to get him to go out on top? Well, before answering that, let me ask you this. Do you think if Brady knows this is the final game, or at least the final run, that he has informed the rest of the team, or do you think he's keeping that to himself? So I would typically say yes, that he would use it as a motivation, because what better motivation in the locker room to be like, listen, guys, this is going to be it for me. Like, we got to go out there and do everything we can. Let's make this one count. But he didn't do that last time. He didn't do that last season, reportedly, when he did retire. And then, of course, we know he unretired. It didn't stick. I don't know if it would be different the second time around, that he he's more had more time to I guess reconsider or redo I really don't know I don't really know what makes Tom Brady tick in that perspective I would use it as a motivation if I was Tom Brady but we certainly haven't always seen that from him yeah I don't think anyone can relate to him because there's like four dudes on the planet that have lived a life like him like how could I sit here and be like look I know what Brady's going through he and I have nothing in common literally nothing in common I don't know. Maybe last year he was playing and he decided after the season, you know what? It feels like it's time. Maybe this year he knows in advance it's time. Maybe he hasn't considered it at all. I'd have to imagine he has considering, you know, his age and everything he just went through this last offseason. But, you know, he's coming to play. He made some excellent points last week when he talked about how when it comes to a playoff game, it's one playoff game. It's, you don't have to be the better team 
over the course of the season. Tonight, you just have to be the better team for 60 minutes. He's a master at making sure the mindset of his teammates is in the right space. They said the week leading up to that Kansas City Super Bowl win, he had a group thread with the entire team that he was texting every single day telling them they were going to win that game, telling them to believe in themselves. And looking back on it, it's like, well, yeah, obviously they were going to win that game. No, Kansas City was a favorite in that game. Kansas City had Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs going for two in a row. Brady and the Bucs had to go through a gauntlet to get there. They had to get past uh, New Orleans. They had to get past Washington in that first game. They had to get past Green Bay. People thought they might be out of gas against the Chiefs, and they went ahead and handled their business. So he's going to have them ready to play tonight. The question is whether or not it's enough. Because if Dallas brings its A game, Dallas should be able to prevail, but Dallas has not brought its A game for quite some time, Amber. Well, and Dallas is the better team, right? On paper, Dallas is the better team. They've had the better season. It's why Dallas should win this game, but things don't always go according to plan. And you mentioned there that Tom Brady X factor is just hard to pick against because a lot of people have lost a whole lot of money over the years, Joe, betting against Tom Brady. Let's be real. That being said, when we're talking about pressure, who's under the pressure cooker, it's very easy to say Dak has a lot of pressure on him, right? He's got pressure in terms of narrative. If he goes in there and he gets embarrassed in Tampa, he gets beat by a 45-year-old, you know, all the storylines will be there. But I don't really know how much pressure overall is on Dak. It's not like Dak's going anywhere. In- no. Dallas. You're not going to convince me of that. Dak has the bag. He's got job security. I don't know if Mike McCarthy has that, but Dak Prescott has that. He ain't going anywhere anytime soon. So even though we are critical of him and there can be a lot of conversations coming off of however this postseason shapes out about where he falls in the rankings of all 32, still with Dak Prescott, he's going to be the quarterback next season of the Dallas Cowboys. Joe and Amber, the podcast. Joe Fortenbaugh and Amber Wilson hanging out with you. You can find him on social media at Joe Fortenbaugh. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. Joe and Amber is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. We're unpacking everything from Super Wild Card Weekend. Also, of course, getting you ready for Cowboys at Bucks. That game is tonight, 8.15 p.m. kickoff on ESPN, ESPN2, ABC, ESPN Plus, and ESPN Deportes. But let's talk about what happened between the Baltimore Ravens and and the Cincinnati Bengals, Joe, because the Bengals did end up pulling it off against the Ravens 24 to 17. But this game was closer than a lot of people thought because it wasn't Lamar Jackson under center for the Ravens. It was, in fact, Tyler Huntley. Huntley was 17 of 29, 226 yards passing, couple touchdowns, an interception. Joe Burrow, on the other hand, for Cincinnati was 23 of 32, 209 yards passing, a touchdown, no interceptions, had another touchdown on the ground for Cincinnati. They get a win here, but the Ravens, they did have a chance right up until the end, right up until a Hail Mary Joe that hit the hands of a receiver and then fell to the ground. Ravens did everything they needed to do to give themselves a chance to win this game. They slowed it down. That's how you're going to beat Cincinnati, especially when you can't play offense. They slowed it down. The Bengals only ran 54 plays in that game. 54 plays is an incredibly small amount of plays to run in today's NFL when most people are going up tempo. I think the first four drives of the game practically got us to halftime. Long, 10-minute methodical drives. The Ravens were running the ball. They were leaning on elite defensive play, which they've gotten all year long. They were taking advantage of a banged-up Cincinnati offensive line, and they gave themselves a shot. 
Their turning point was when Tyler Huntley, for some inexplicable reason on both his behalf and the coaching staff's behalf, tried to jump up over the line of scrimmage to score that touchdown. Number one, you had three running backs behind you that were ready to push you into the end zone. You didn't need to jump. Number two, you shouldn't have been the guy handling the ball. If there's anything we know about Baltimore this year, you are not the star quarterback. It's Lamar Jackson. You are a bit of a liability. And all due respect to Tyler Huntley, he's filled in admirably, but he's got to be handled a different way. You can't put the game in his hands. Put it in the defense's hands. Give the ball to J.K. Dobbins. Because I believe he touched the ball one time on the 10 plays they ran inside the 10-yard line, and he scored on that play. And for some reason, they didn't want to give it to him anymore. Had you given it to him and just pounded the rock there, you're likely in. But you got too fancy with the play calling. You got too fancy with the execution. And then, boom, it's a 98-yard touchdown the other way, which... If I might add, Mark Andrews was pushed in the back. That should have been a penalty. Mm -hmm. But you got 75-year-old officials that are trailing the play by 40 yards because they're not fast enough or agile enough to keep up with these guys. So instead of seeing what's happening and throwing the flag, they're running out of breath trying to avoid a heart attack on the field. Now, it was obviously a situation where we need – you've got to be able to officiate these games better. That isn't the turning point of the game by any stretch of the imagination with the push in the back, but it should have been called. So all the way around there, bad move by the Ravens, and it cost them the game in the long run. In fairness, there's zero chance, even though I'm much younger than those officials, that I could keep up with those guys either. Running 98 yards, which is what the ball was taken back by Hubbard, returning Tyler Huntley's fumble in that situation, 98 yards. They I would have been hacking though. and wheezing too. I mean, All due respect to the officials, and, and I would have been hacking and The block in the back was almost at the end zone. So, like, in fair, it was like 90 yards. <laughs> Is it the 26-yard line? 26-yard line. Whatever. It seems like it was really far down there. And the point is, I'm probably not seeing it either. In fairness to the officials. But I understand what you're saying. That is their job. And they probably need to make sure somebody is able to keep up with that level of play. I thought the Ravens, frankly, fought a lot harder than I thought they were going to, considering there was no Lamar Jackson. They were on a backup quarterback. Kind of reminiscent there of how hard the Dolphins fought against the Buffalo Bills. The Bills and Bengals, two teams that I thought people, that I think a lot of people thought were going to make easy work of their opponent because of the injury situation to those quarterback rooms. And certainly this was not easy work for the Cincinnati Bengals. But the situation with Lamar Jackson is interesting because the plot has thickened even further from this game. His team loses. Their season is over. What would it have been like if it wasn't Tyler Huntley under center, but it was Lamar Jackson under center, considering how close of a game it was? People obviously reasonably assume if Lamar had been there and maybe he could have been there, then they would have actually won that game. He didn't even bother traveling with his team. He comes out. He tells us what a few days ago on his Instagram, there was all these rumors flooding around Joe about, hey, maybe this is a contract situation and Lamar just doesn't want to play. Then he comes out on his own Instagram. He's like, no, guys, this is what's happening with my knee. And he's very specific about the injuries that he has and the pain that he's in and we're kind of like all right well maybe this is just he's actually injured but then he doesn't bother to travel to this game for a playoff game to support his team that's really odd and then things get even more complicated on social media so he posted on instagram today quote when you have something good you don't play with it you don't take chances losing it you don't neglect it when you have something good you pour into it you appreciate it because when you take care of something good, that good thing takes care of you too. End quote. Now, what do you think Lamar Jackson's talking about there? The well, Ravens well, are getting a 
first-class look at what happens when you screw around with the quarterback position. What's that famous meme that's going around right now? Expletive around and find out. Right. Well, the Ravens have been expletiving around with Lamar Jackson for years. He's watching Kyler Murray get the bag. He's watching Josh Allen get the bag. Everyone's getting paid except him. Maybe the Ravens don't like his negotiating style. So be it. But the Ravens are out of the playoffs because they don't have Lamar Jackson. Or because they had to go with their backup. Maybe he's asking for $250 million guaranteed, you know, or $300 million guaranteed. I have no idea what he's asking for, right? This is part of the problem. Yes, we saw Kyler Murray get the bag. Was he asking for Kyler Murray money, or was he asking more than for more than Kyler Murray? I guess he was asking for more than Kyler Murray, right? You know, we are seeing these other guys around the league get the bag. Sure, we're about to see, I would imagine, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert get the bag after this season. Their I don't know. Burrow might have to prove up. himself. I haven't seen a whole lot out of him yet. <laughs> uh, both of those guys, right? So. Oh. They're about to get the bag, and yet we might not see Lamar in the same situation, but what are they asking for? I have no idea. I just don't know how outrageous this goes, and maybe not. Maybe it's a totally reasonable ask, and maybe the Ravens are totally in the wrong. There's two things he could be talking about. He's either talking about the Baltimore Ravens, or he's talking about his girlfriend or wife, right? Maybe she's not appreciating him (laughs) enough. I don't know what's going on in Lamar Jackson's personal life. What I will say, though, if it is, in fact, the Baltimore Ravens, could be problematic for Lamar because he's under contract with them, right? And so we are talking about a situation where, yes, right now he could theoretically go out and test the market, except for they're going to franchise tag him. They're not going to let him just walk out, right? Now, yes, can he make things ugly enough where they have to tag him and then trade him? That's certainly possible. They're going to get something in return for Lamar Jackson. The Ravens are not going to end up, frankly, with the short end of this stick in these negotiations. And Lamar does have to realize that, like the Ravens do have a lot of power here. This isn't full power player empowerment at this point because he's not just an unrestricted free agent that can just walk away from Baltimore. The Ravens think they have power. What just happened is that Lamar Jackson showed him what power is. If Lamar Jackson was healthy enough to play and chose not to play because of the contract, he showed Baltimore what power is because Baltimore's ass just got kicked out of the playoffs because they didn't have him. They had Tyler Huntley. And you have player after player coming out of that Ravens locker room saying, if we had Lamar Jackson, we would have won this game. The players in the locker room know it. It's not just an issue now between Lamar Jackson and ownership. It's an issue that's brewing in the locker room. The players are starting to feel this because those dudes probably wanted their playoff bonuses. Some of them wanted to win that game and get paid and then go get another playoff bonus down the road. Some of them want to compete for Super Bowls, and they know the best chance is with Lamar Jackson. So sure, contractually, they have some, some flex that they can put into it. Good for you, Baltimore. But to this point, it's not looking too good. You've had Lamar Jackson, who's already won an MVP. He's 26 years old. He's shown you he can run an offense. You haven't really done a whole lot in the playoffs with him. And you've got an elite defense. And you've got what's supposed to be one of the league's better head coaches. And yet you keep flaming out every time you get to showtime. So right now, sure, maybe you can franchise him. But who's to say he even shows up? Lamar's been probably saving his cash. He might just be sitting around saying, you know what? I don't need to play for you guys. And while the Ravens can sit there and say, that's okay, we own your rights. The Ravens at some point are going to want to start winning football games again soon, I'd have to imagine. If you're Baltimore, what are you doing? Well, they're going to have to address that position but it is a salary cap sport like there is another side to this you can't just hand him whatever if he's asking for 300 million guaranteed like it ain't happening right like it's just not going to happen probably in that sport we saw Deshaun Watson do it with the 230 million guaranteed we've never seen anything like that in the history of that sport frankly and I don't know if we're going to see that again I think we're about to get a lot more clarification once Burrow and Herbert get paid where that quarterback 
dollar is headed in this market. I do think that that will have a lot to do with it. But let's not forget the situation that Cleveland was in when they decided to hand that to Deshaun Watson. Like the Deshaun Watson situation is an outlier in every way when it comes to trying to talk him into going there because that was a player who was very obviously, it seemed like, by the way, on his way to Atlanta, but he was obviously headed anywhere not named Cleveland, Ohio, because he had made it very clear that he did not want to go there and did not want to be a Cleveland Brown. All of a sudden, though, money talks. So they had to pony up a ridiculous amount of money in order to compete with the other offers that were out there. He found himself on a market that was vying for his services in a really strange situation, which I don't even want to get into the weirdness that was coming off of that situation in Houston and what it ends up leading to in terms of the Deshaun Watson market. Those dollars were guaranteed. We haven't seen that portion of things. I'm not sure we're ever going to see that. I have a really hard time believing that if Lamar is asking for that, that he's going to get it. And I guess there's a part of me that sort of understands why NFL owners would be trepidatious about guaranteeing. It's, it's the more the guarantee, I think, that, that could be the issue. And, and I have no idea if that's what he's asking for. But if it is something like that, and I just remember the owner of the Baltimore Ravens, off of the last owners meetings last year saying just because Watson got that kind of guaranteed money doesn't mean that we have to do that. Doesn't mean that anybody else has to do that. I don't know if the Browns reset the market for that position or not, or if that ends up being an outlier. If you're Baltimore right now, you're jammed up because if you end up giving them a monster deal, it sends a message to everyone in that locker room and around the league that if you do what Lamar Jackson did, you'll end up getting paid. Like they're getting, they're getting pushed around a little bit right now. The, the right now, the image of the Ravens is that Lamar Jackson could have played in that game, but didn't play in that game. And if you go ahead and pay him, that's going to send the message that other guys that want to pull that can go ahead and do it. Conversely, if you end up moving on from him because you don't want to get jammed up, you're going to be stuck trying to find a person who can produce stats and numbers and wins. Like, let me think. Lamar Jackson, who's been winning games and producing numbers for a while. Bad spot to be if you're the Ravens, especially with Mike Tomlin in the division, a Cincinnati team that's not going anywhere, and a Browns team that some think will eventually get it right, but has proven for two decades they'll do anything but. It's certainly interesting. I have no problem with Lamar. If that was his negotiating tactic, I don't have a big problem with it. That is the power that you flex in that position. It's really the only power you have because, again, they can franchise you. I mean, the only power you have is essentially not showing up and saying, hey, do it without me and it not going well. And so certainly that was his negotiating tactic. If, in fact, this was about a contract, I just don't understand the component of it where he comes out just before this, though, and gives us details about the injury. Like that to me was very contradictory coming from Lamar. Coming up next, will Brandon Staley be able to survive blowing a 27 point lead on Saturday? We'll talk about that next. Joe and Amber is on ESPN radio and you can find us on the ESPN app. Joe and Amber, the podcast. 